Thank you, worship team. Great singing, everyone. Well, this Advent season, we are focusing on the Christ of Christmas. The first two weeks of Advent with hope and faith, they're more of a anticipation and a look at the second coming of Jesus Christ than they are of a reflection back on Jesus Christ's first coming in a manger. And last week we began with hope and we talked a lot about that. You can put your hope in a thousand different things. And if it's not on Jesus Christ, setting your hope fully on the coming grace of Jesus Christ, you're not gonna have a sense of peace and confidence and fulfillment that you were created to have. That's, that's the way hope works. We have to have our hope in the right thing. And this week, we're going to be looking at faith. And unlike hope, with hope, at least everybody's holding on to some thread of hope. I mean, if you're living and breathing, you have hope in something, right? With faith, it's different in the sense that a lot of people walk through life without any, without a shred of faith. They're just stumbling along, hoping for the best, and they don't have faith like they need to have faith. And in this room today, we individually are all probably dealing with different things. Every one of us has different issues that we're dealing with, and we need faith. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Now, as I set this up, I want to talk about the order of progression for just a second, because with Advent. And, and faith that we're, where we're at today. The second Advent candle is purple. It's the Bethlehem candle. It's the candle of faith. And it actually points to the faith that Mary and Joseph had when they traveled to Bethlehem. And I would encourage you to go read that passage at some point this week. It's, it's amazing. I almost preached from Luke chapter 1, but I really felt the Lord lead me a different direction. But you can see in Luke 1, 46 through 55, this prayer and praise of faith that Mary had, where it's a kind of a peek behind the scenes to see the faith that they believed in something that hadn't even happened yet, but they trusted who God was. And it's a very powerful passage. But that's faith, that's the Bethlehem candle, and there's a reason why faith comes after hope. And I, sometimes this is just glossed over, but there is a reason why Christians for centuries have celebrated it and reflected in this order. And that's because truly to have daily faith, you need to have genuine hope first. You have to have the, these, these priorities aligned where you know who Jesus is, what he's done for you, and that will give you the faith that you need to step forward and move on. And work through the trial, work through the tribulation that you're in. That's very important that we set that up in that sense. Now, saving faith is a different thing altogether. Uh, putting, your, putting your faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ once and for all. When you make that decision and you turn to Jesus Christ, you confess your sin and you repent. That's what you were created to, to do. To, to find new life, and that starts through saving faith. That's not the same as daily faith. Daily faith is an ongoing decision that you make day in, day out. And this is what spurs us forward as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, before 
uh, we go any further, let's define faith first. Because living a life of faith comes when you put your passion and your hope in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've heard this definition of faith before, and I think it's a helpful definition. It's uh, not original with me, but faith, believing in God's word and acting upon it no matter how I feel because God promises a good result. It's pretty helpful, right? I think this is definitely founded on God's word. This is a great idea um, and, and a summary of what daily faith looks like and how it works. But we're going to take it a step further today. So please take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And I know some of you are probably very familiar familiar with this chapter. I hope you are. This is uh, sometimes been called the Hall of Faith, not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith, because we have all these stories throughout the Old Testament. And in the author of Hebrews doesn't just give us little biographical synopsis. He actually gives us some new insight. And it's almost like splashing a a dash of living color in some of these stories of the Old Testament because we learn a little bit more about them. And if this is new to you, this is great. Don't, don't feel ashamed. Like, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're going to hear Hebrews 11 for the very first time. I mean, sometimes it's fun to discover new things that you can really appreciate when you're older. I was actually at the Greenville-Spartanburg Airport just a few months ago, GSP, and um, this is, as you're turning there, I'll just tell you this really quick. Uh, I ran into a guy, he was from Germany, and he had never had Chick-fil-A in his entire life. And this guy's like 60 years old, and he was experiencing a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich for the first time. Do you remember where you were when you first had Chick-fil-A? <laughs> I hope you were old enough to appreciate it. But, uh, but Hebrews 11 is kind of like that. This is as good as it gets. It's like eating ice cream as an adult for the first time. Um, there's so much here, and I, I could probably preach in Hebrews 11 for, for six months, but we're not going to do that. We're going to just look at six verses today. So let's start Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So right off, let's say this. Faith is more than intellectual belief. Faith is much more than intellectual belief. I'm all for apologetics. I love apologetics. But sometimes you have to do something with what you believe. And sometimes you don't have to know all the reasons why and how it 100% perfectly makes sense. That's just not what we have to do. It's not just intellectual. Real faith means you are doing something with the truth. And you can see in this verse, verse 1, that there's a couple different layers of faith. First of all, it's the assurance of things hoped for. That's the belief part. This is looking back on the promises of God. You see what he did, and you, your hopes become a reality. That's the God you serve. And then secondly, it's the conviction of things not seen. So here's again the, the duality of anticipation and reflection. You see what he has done, and now you look forward to the unknowns, and you trust that he will provide. Faith is believing in what God has done and trusting in what he has promised to do. It's both those things. It's not just a one-time decision. It's, yes, this is who God is. I'm going to now trust him in what he has promised to do. 
It's setting your hope fully in the coming grace of Jesus and obediently walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So today, in Hebrews 11, we are going to see four detailed examples of how you can live by faith. How you personally, in your life right now, can live by faith. And we're going to specifically see these examples from the life of Moses. He's, he's the, main, the main guy that we're looking at right now, uh, at least to start. And we're going to see from his life that when you live a life of daily faith, it's a life of excitement. And it's also a life that makes a difference in this world. This is how we make a difference in this world. And I know most of you in this room, especially the, the members that I've sat down with, and as you join this church, you told me one of the reasons why you wanted to be a part of this church is because you want to make a difference in this world. This, room, this is a young, brand new church, so if you're here, most likely you're here for the right reason. We don't have a lot of people who are just coasting in this room right now at this stage of our, of our church's life. And yes, we want to make a difference. And if you're trying to make a difference, you know that it's not always easy when you do that. Life is not a bed of roses. And some of you feel like maybe you can't even make a difference because you're struggling with your own personal sin. And there's things in your life right now that are hard and, and that you're ashamed of. And you feel like a failure almost. And, and you don't even, you're not even there to this point where you feel like you can make a difference. Well, this is what you need right here. You need faith. You need daily faith. And you may not be a first-round draft pick talent sort of person. As a matter of fact, most of us aren't. Mary certainly wasn't. I mean, she was a poor, illiterate teenage girl from the nasty part of the country that no one wanted to live in. But God chose her, and God used her because he had, she had faith. And if that's you today... And you think, well, I just don't have everything that somebody else has. I don't come from a family of affluence, and I don't have the best gifts, and that's just not something that I can really do. The truth is, you can make a difference when you have faith in who God is and what he has called you to do, and you trust him for that. God will empower you, and he will change you, and he will use you to make a difference. Now let's jump down to verse 23 here in Hebrews 11 where we get into the specifics of Moses. Let me read for you verse 23 and we're going to see four ways that you can live by faith and make a difference for the glory of God. This is our first point. Live by faith and erase fear. Live by faith and erase, erase fear. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, the first example of faith is not even directly from Moses yet. Before we even get to Moses, we're starting with his parents, okay? His parents were not afraid of Pharaoh's edict. And you may not know what's going on here. So if you want to, with me, turn over to um, Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 18 through, 8, 8 through 14, uh, I'm going to quickly bring us up to speed on exactly what happened there. Verse 8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel 
are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. If war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then in verse 22, at the very end of this chapter, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. But, if, but you shall let every daughter live. So gruesome situation, terrible, terrible place to be. This is, this is not going well at all right now. And, uh, and Moses' parents have to have faith to believe what God has asked them to do and to actually disobey the king and to instead Save their baby. Save their baby boy. I have like all kinds of papers today. Thank you for getting that paper, by the way, too. I appreciate that. Um, they were more concerned with what God said than what their government said. And this is a pretty oppressive government to say you have to kill your firstborn son. Um, that's horrible and it's awful and I don't even want to think about that. But it takes faith in God to risk your life, and to hide a baby for three months. In Hebrews eleven twenty three, we see in the story of Moses and his parents that when your hope is in God, you do bold things. You do bold things. You become a rebel with the cause. You don't fear what man can do to you because you're so consumed with who God is and what he's called you to be and how you can make a difference. And this is what our church is trying to do. We as a church are the people of God on mission for the glory of God, and we are called to make a difference in this world today. And there are people that we're supporting, like I even talked about earlier, people like Aslam, who's over there in Pakistan, the, the, the men and women that are in the Child Freedom Coalition in India. We can make a difference when we support them, but those people are risking their lives. Those people are going into very adverse situations, and they're being bold because they believe in who God is. And they believe in what he's called them to do. Sometimes trusting and obeying God is rejecting what seems right or popular. And it's going with what God says. What we just saw here in Exodus 1 was a very extreme example. You know, no one's chucking their babies into the river right now, uh, actually. But there are things going on like that. There are scary situations like that. There are situations and circumstances that you will face that you have to have faith. Do I need to give us some specific examples? Especially with parenting. With parenting, sometimes you have to withhold things from your kids in the short term in order to help them in the long term, right? And, and if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about and... If, if you don't, your kids will probably bring it up to you really soon, and you'll probably see some of, those, some of those situations. But, I mean, do you need to give your kid unfiltered, carte blanche, internet access, and unlimited data at any time of the day? It's probably a bad choice, right? 
Um, just because every other parent is doing something doesn't mean your nine-year-old needs that. And sometimes we, as people who are living by daily faith, need to make that decision. I'm not going to just shrug my shoulders, raise my hands, and go, oh, well, everybody else is doing it. Every other parent is doing it. No, you're going to say, I'm going to actually make a decision here that's a little outside the status quo because I believe that God wants me to make a difference, and I believe he has something different for me. Even if you're not a parent, which a lot of us aren't parents. If you have faith in God and you're setting your hope fully on him, you're not going to be afraid to step out in faith and do something that's a little risky. Do something that doesn't make sense to everyone else around you. That's how we as Christians make a difference in this world. We're not driven by fear. We're driven by love. And we have to be. We have to be. Faith believes that God is for me, not against me. Faith believes that God is my shield and he's my defense. He has a plan for me and that he has promised that he will be with me wherever I go. When you believe that, you can do things that will stand out and that will rock the cradle and shake the boat. How about we step into the next verse, though, verse 24, and look at Moses now imitating his parents and living by faith as a young adult. So verse 24, this will be our next point. Live by faith and find something greater than pleasure. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In Acts 7, we are actually given even more insight into what is going on here in this decision that Moses made as a young man. Um, he, he saw what was going on with Egypt. I mean, he had it all. He, ha he was sitting in the lap of luxury. Let me just show you Acts 7 because Acts 7 is another one of those um, passages in the New Testament and this one is actually from Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. And this was a sermon he preached. Speaking of doing bold things that are outside the status quo, he preached this sermon to the Pharisees, to their face, told them that they were basically the same kind of type of things that Jesus told them, that they were, they crucified the Messiah, they murdered the Messiah, that his blood was on their hands. I mean, talk about being bold. This is what, this is what Stephen did. And in that sermon, he walked through all the different things that the forefathers of the Israelites did and how they rejected God. And he talked about Moses here. And this is what he says, Acts 7, 22. He says, and Moses was, as Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. And it, it really blows me away that Moses had this kind of education and this kind of knowledge when you think about it. I met, like a few years ago, now, I met a guy, and this guy worshipped the Egyptian sun god, Ra, and he worshipped Horus. And when you talk to people like that, who are in that occultic religion, it is as dark as it gets. I mean, we're talking about little g demonic gods. That's, I, I, when I read that verse, I can't help but think of that, of those 1,400 Egyptian gods and goddesses that Moses would have been exposed to. Not only that, but you're talking about Egyptian law, which was the standard of the time. You're talking about geography, literature, art, 
Egypt was the cultural hub of all of those things. Moses would have learned how to write. I mean, this is the guy who one day later on down the road would write the first five books of the Bible. He wrote the Torah. Isn't it, isn't it ironic how God orchestrated that and worked that out? But Moses was raised to be the prince of Egypt. He was raised to be the next pharaoh. So he developed all these leadership skills that he would one day use to deliver his people out of Egypt. It's unbelievable when you stop and think about what God did as he orchestrated the life of Moses. And, and we don't have Moses' um, adopted Egyptian's mother's name in Scripture. We're actually going off some outside sources that are outside of Scripture for that. But Hatzaput is most likely the Egyptian uh, queen who adopted Moses. And when you look at the uh, antiquities of the Jewish people written by Josephus, there's a lot of very interesting things in there that talk about this. But the story goes, she found Moses in a basket. Miriam, this is, this is straight from the Bible, Miriam was 15 years old at the time. She's 15 years older than her little brother Moses. She sees that the queen of Egypt has found Moses, and she says, hey, I can actually find for you a nurse. And Moses' real mother, Jochebed, becomes the full-time nanny, and she becomes the one who, in those influential, strategic years in Moses' life, not only is he being raised in the palace with Queen Hatzaput, but his real mother, Jochebed, was right there with him, teaching him the truth of who God was. And Moses, even though he was living in the lap of luxury, even though he had the biggest parties, he had everything he could ever want, believed the truth. He realized who he was. And the t when the time came for him to actually make a decision on his identity, was he going to be the son of Pharaoh or was he going to be the son of God? Was he going to just live in the lap of luxury and follow the life of comfort and ease? Or was he going to actually do something with his life to make a difference for eternity. This is what Moses chose. And you can see how he made that decision. It's right there in verse, verse 26. He considered the repro reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. We have to make the same decision. Who are you going to live for? Don't get duped into thinking the world's pleasure is what you're looking for. Moses experienced it, and a lot of times people who are on the outside looking in, we look at the people who are rich and they have it all, and we're like, wow, I want that. If I only had that, I would be happy. Whereas the people who have that, the people who are sitting in that place, they know that's not fulfilling me. This is not satisfying me. There's something else. I'm missing something else. Moses heard the truth, he experienced everything there was to experience, and he said, you know what, this isn't really where I need to be. This isn't enough. And he considered the wealth of Egypt less than the reproach that comes with being a child of God because he looked forward to the reward. There is pleasure in sin for a season. Of course there is. Don't, don't let anyone ever tell you there's, that's not true. That's from the Bible. There's pleasure in sin for a season. And Moses would have known that. His, those parties had to have been great. But after the party is over, 
what happens? Then the depression sits in. When the, then the hangover comes in. And there's a lot of things that will come into play. Addictions that will destroy lives. Things that will ruin families. The pleasures of sin are only for a season. And he knew, he knew what Egypt had to offer. And he said, I don't want that. By faith, I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe in who God says he is and what he has promised. And I'm going to follow that. There's something greater than pleasure, and it's Jesus Christ. I think it's really interesting in verse 26, in Hebrews eleven twenty six, it says, Moses considered the reproach of Christ. Do you realize Moses didn't even know the name Jesus Christ? He didn't. But Jesus Christ was there in Exodus. He was in that Exodus story, even though Moses didn't know his name. Moses knew that the, there's something greater than earthly pleasure and its eternal rewards. God will reward faithful people. He will reward them with things that are not even of this earth. And we have that to look forward to. One last observation is, when you really look at the story of Moses here, his mistreatment didn't just come from Egypt. All right, back to Acts chapter 7, if you could for a minute. Acts chapter 7. I want to read you something that happened after he made this faith-filled decision. He tries to make a difference. And Acts 7 verse 23, again, this is from Stephen's sermon as we're, as we're piecemealing this biography together. But verse 23, it says, When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand and that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But, a, but the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. This is a little depressing, but this is the truth of the matter. When you're following Jesus Christ and you're trying to make a difference, a lot of times it's not just the world who looks at you and makes fun of you. Sometimes it's other fellow Christians who don't understand and who mistreat you. I mean, Moses is, he's just trying to actually come in there and, and be a difference maker. And he gets the finger pointed right back at him. That had to be incredibly hard that even your own people will mistreat you. The world mislabels me, great. But sometimes Christians do too. And the only thing that he could do there was look forward to the reward. And then there's something else, and this is point three. There's something else that he does here. And uh, it's live by faith and look past the danger. This is verse 27. Let me read that one for you back in Acts, excuse me, back in Hebrews chapter 11. This is, I'm not used to jumping around so much. I'm, if, you're, if you're with us for the first time, this is actually not common. I don't usually have to shuffle my papers around and my, my passages around so much. But back to Hebrews 11, verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him 
who is invisible. All right, so it's, let's take a brief pause for a second here. Let's regroup because there's a lot of things going on in the story of Moses, but it's Christmas season and a lot of, a lot of times when it's cold, what do you want to do as a family? You want to just watch a movie, right? And if you're like me, you can't really handle more than like one or two Christmas movies a year. Like I just can't. And no offense to the people who are, who are like binge watching Hallmark Christmas movies. I know you're out there and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not judging you. But that's just me. I can't handle more than two Christmas movies. Got to get it. It's a Wonderful Life in there and then beyond that, maybe one more. But if you're ready to watch another movie that's not a Christmas movie, what usually happens when the, the main person in the movie says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my back on you, and I'm going to actually now choose your enemy, and I'm going to go with them. Is the king going to normally respond well in that kind of situation in your, in your movie-watching experience out there? What usually happens when the king gets spurned like that? revenge, you're going to die, I'm coming after you. It's, it's like the plot thickens, okay? And now it's really getting interesting. Well, Pharaoh is no different. And again, if you, if you read, I mean, this is not 100% accurate. You take it with a grain of salt. But if you take the historical records that Josephus wrote, the, the, whole, the whole story of Moses is, is really incredible. It's only the hand of God that does this. But one of the reasons why... Um, not only were, was Pharaoh originally scared that the, that the Israelites would grow too strong and they would side with an enemy and that they would, they would leave the country, but there was a prophecy from Pharaoh's wise men, if you go way back, that said there's going to be a coming child of Israel who's going to actually redeem these people and drive them out of here and free their people. So that's one of the reasons why Pharaoh had this edict that all the baby boys will be killed. And so when Pharaoh's daughter, Hatzaput, brings Moses in and says, I want to adopt this boy as my own, he actually, that, that Pharaoh did not have an heir. Again, God's working all these things together. And he, he wasn't probably going to do it. All of his counselors and these wise men were like, no, this is probably the, the promised the promise child that, that's been foretold. He said, no, I'm going to take him in anyway. The, ba- the baby was beautiful. Something happened there where God worked it out. But now that Moses did this move, and now that, he's, now that he's actually rebelling against Egypt, you better believe that the next Pharaoh knows all of this about Moses. So they're definitely ready to kill Moses off because they don't want anything happening. They know all this stuff. I mean, you can see these, these wise men that Pharaoh had, they definitely had some occultic powers. You could even see that later on when they mimicked the, the miracle of turning the staff into a serpent. So these people had abilities that were, were dark magic abilities, and Moses has to get out of there. So he is in danger. And when you're in a situation where there are unknowns, where you don't know what's going to happen next, we're all going to struggle with fear. Fear is the thing that we have to deal with unless, going back to point one, you have faith in something greater. And perfect love casts out fear. And Moses endured because he looked past the immediate uncertainty and he looked to him who is invisible. By faith, he looked past the danger and he looked to his God. He focused on the almighty certainty of something that he couldn't even see. If you're trying to make a difference, it's going to require you 
to look past the unknowns that are scary. And it's going to require you to believe in faith in someone who you cannot see. The assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That means you look back and reflect on what God has done and you trust on him who is invisible and you have a conviction that he is going to accomplish this. Is your family upset at you because you're following Jesus now and they're making comments? You're going to have to look to Jesus. You're going to have to get through that with Jesus Christ. Are your business associates raising eyebrows because you're not just trying to make a buck and you're not doing every single little shortcut that's unethical and they don't like that and it's creating conflict in the workplace? Maybe you're wondering if you're ever going to get out of this cycle of just living paycheck to paycheck and maybe you just want to actually get some financial stability and it's hard right now. And you don't know if there's any light at the end of the tunnel. We've all been in places of uncertainty. And I don't know what your uncertainty is today, specifically. But we all find ourselves in those places from time to time. And you have to look past the present danger. You have to look back at who God is and what he's done in the past. What he's already done for you. What he's done for so many other people. And you have to look forward and realize that you're in good hands. You're in the hands of the almighty God. What we can't see is scary unless we are looking past the things that are not seen to him who is invisible. That's another way to have daily faith in Jesus Christ. And there's one more way in this text today that you can live by faith and make a difference for the glory of God. This is our last point, point four. Live by faith and persevere when you want to quit. Look at verse 28 of Hebrews 11. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Okay, so to understand verse 28, you have to understand this 10th plague that happened with Moses. Um, this is what we're going to have to actually cover. And it's a really amazing, it's really, really a powerful foreshadowing of the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. But sometimes continuing in faith is harder than even starting faith to begin with. Because by the time the 10th plague rolled around, everyone had to been, have been absolutely exhausted. Are these plagues ever going to end? And right now, I mean, in hindsight, you can see, yeah, the 10th plague was the clincher. That was the one where Pharaoh finally let the people go. But in the moment, he had to have faith to carry out the Passover. It was not just a, a shoo-in. This was not an easy thing to do. I'm sure there was people who wanted to quit. They wanted to give up. Just like there's people in the room today who are weary and tired, and there's something that you want to quit and you want to give up. But let's back up and explain the 10th plague. This is the Passover, and this foreshadows what Jesus Christ is going to do. So in the Passover, I'm going to summarize it, God commands his people to take a lamb without blemish and without, without spot to kill that lamb as a sacrifice to God. And then he says, take the blood of that lamb and spread it on your wooden doorpost. Okay? Sounds, sounds terrible for people who like to design their homes and interior designers. Wow, what? Yeah, take the blood and, and just cover it over your wooden doorpost. Then you eat the meat 
And, and not only do you just eat the sacrifice, but I want you to be fully dressed, have your sandals on, ready to go, staff in hand, and by faith expect to move, expect something to happen. Be ready to go. And that night, the death angel came, and it passed over every single home. And if the angel saw blood on the doorpost, the angel would pass over. But if there was no blood on the, on the wooden doorpost, the firstborn son would die in every single home. Yeah, intense. This is, this is severe. This is a big deal. I can't imagine what was going on with this 10th plague and the mourning and the wailing that happened there. But this was a sign way back before the Exodus even started that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, as the perfect lamb without blemish and without spot, the sacrifice for the sins of this world, and that he would shed his blood on a wooden cross. And that when we by faith trust Jesus and accept him into our life and trust him as our savior, death will pass over us because we are redeemed and we are washed by the blood of the lamb. What a beautiful foreshadowing of our own salvation. And Jesus' blood is what makes death pass over us. Can I get an amen for that? That's right. But in the moment, it had to have been hard. Had to have been hard. I mean, the verse tells us here, by faith, Moses kept the Passover. Did he want to do that? Probably not. Was it scary? You better believe it. It was scary. Sometimes we get worn out from doing the right thing. And sometimes it's harder to continue than it is to stop. And this is why sometimes we see people drop off. This is a real threat. Part of daily faith is persevering when you are just shot. You're mentally and physically spent. And daily faith says, I'm going to look forward to what God wants me to do. We have to help each other with this. We can't do this alone. This is, this is one of the reasons why we have life groups, why we have serve teams that, 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 that work together, that love each other. Life is hard, and our culture is completely obsessed with work. Did you know that John Maynard Keynes predicted in 1930 that we would have 15-hour work weeks by the year 2000? Because technology was going to be so awesome, it would just make everything easy for us. And then even in 1960, there was a Senate subcommittee that predicted there would be 14-hour work weeks by the year 2000. As early as 1960. What happened? What happened? Well, I tell you what happened. People like to make money. And the technology that was supposed to be our savior actually has become something that drives us to just go, 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 even more than we've ever gone before. And people are worn out. I get that. It's a big problem that we have in our culture. Without a doubt, people in this room right now, you're feeling fatigue. You're feeling the pressure. You're probably ready to quit something. And I get it. But this is what you have to remember. In the big picture, you are here to make a difference. You're made here to make a difference, not just to make money <laughs> and do something that way, but you're here to actually make a difference for eternity. 
That's what you're called to do, to show the world God's glory. That's how we glorify God. When we show his love, his justice, his mercy, we're showing the truth of who he is. We're glorifying God. And that's what you were created to do. So don't quit your sense and your source of joy and peace. You can't quit that. Slow down, yes. Cut some things, sure. But persevere with faith. Worship team, you can come up right now. We're gonna finish this sermon by looking at the last couple verses in Hebrews 11. There's other examples of faith. This whole chapter is example of, after example of faith. We only looked at four of those examples in these six verses. But this is what verse 39 says. And all these things, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So, all right, all of these people, David, Rahab, Moses, on and on and on the list goes, they did not have what was promised? What was promised? What's the promise there? The promise that verse 39 is talking about is what we have, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the promise. We have the Messiah who was born in Bethlehem, Emmanuel, God with us. They didn't have him, but we do. And notice in verse 40, it connects the faith of the men and women in the past. It connects their faith with us. This is kind of over our heads here. I don't fully understand this, but they looked forward. We have something better. We have the living hope, Jesus Christ. But there's a connection between their faith and our faith. When you live a life of faith, it can stir other people. It can spur other people on to live a life of faith. What we do, the decisions we make actually affect other people. For generations, it affects other people. What you decide to do now will affect your kids. It will affect your kids' kids. On down the list. We don't just live lives in isolation. Every decision you make, make it a decision of daily faith. The message translation actually really clears this one up. It crystallized it for me. I just want to show you this is a different translation of this verse. Not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. It's amazing how it all intertwines. But the decisions you make will most definitely affect other people. And this is a very, very important thing that we realize we have the promise. We have Jesus in a way that Moses never did. Our world is hopeless without Christ. It just is. There's a lot of darkness out there that is begging for someone with faith to step in and shake things up. We need people who don't have fear because they're looking to Jesus. We have people that are living for something greater than pleasure. We need people who are looking past the danger. We need people who are not going to quit. We need people with faith who will make a difference. 
and we're looking at each other. We're those people. It's us. The Old Testament saints had the shadows. We have Christ. And as this chapter closes, the lessons of faith are applied directly to you and to me. God has something better for you. Live by faith day by day and shine your light into the darkness. You cannot close Hebrews 11 without looking one verse over into Hebrews 12. Because there probably shouldn't even be a chapter break there. But this is what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We can't do this on our own. If you're feeling it right now, David, how in the world can I have daily faith? I can't muster up the strength and the energy to do this. You don't have to. What you have to look to is Jesus Christ. You look to him. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And then you take one step forward. That's what we do, church. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing what we're called to do through the strength that is in the promised one, Jesus Christ. Amen, church. Let's lift that up. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Come on. 